Hello podcast family. My name is Duncan Masiwa and welcome to our Farmer Mentor series brought to you by Farmers Inside Track. Now as always in this special podcast series, the wisdom of seasoned farmers and mentors meets the needs and enthusiasm of new era farmers. Next up on our special series is Ntate David Ndombeni, a man who stands out as one of the few black commercial farmers in South Africa, owning three farms. Yep, you heard right, three farms. As the founder of Gigana Farming, David oversees a diversified agricultural operation that encompasses broilers, cattle, small stock and grains and are all based in the beautiful Mpumalanga. It's yeah, his story of success. Ndate, thank you so much for joining us on Farmers Inside Track. Thanks, Duncan. Also, I appreciate an opportunity to be given a space just to share what other people can consume in terms of how to start agribusiness. Definitely, and I'm sure, you know, by listening to your story, one is most likely to walk away inspired you know, we know you as a farmer in Tate David, but I know there's a lot of other things that you're involved in. Maybe just quickly give us a breakdown of all the things that you are involved in. Let me start actually by where I come from. I come from the family that has grown up in a farm. Although I was not born in a farm, by birth I'm born in Ranfontein by the location called Moshake where my parents uh, used to stay. But then later on, we moved back because they were originating from Gumalanga in the area called Davel, around Khartsibande. That's where my grandfather was a farm. I've taken over where my grandfather, Paulus Matolo Anamtombeni, left off. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't inherit anything. All of what I have, it's my sweat but it's just not my sweat it's a family sweat including my father we started this business it was me and my father daniel Mchombeni. by then when we buy the first farm i was working for sasol we bought this farm through the combination of our financial resources me and my father we started with 18 cows and, and then we saw in investment, there was a, a financial support program from MATC, Mpumalala Agricultural Development Corporation. Other people who have loaned us money to buy the stock, which is cattle's. And uh, the farm, we bought it through Land Bank. It was financed by Land Bank, and uh, MATC came in. We started with cattle's. The arable land, because the farm is 448 hectares, we have uh, taken the arable land, we've leased it to our white neighbors who are well established. They worked the land and on the lease agreement, then what they've paid, we have used it, invested back into the business, buying implements. I think we've done that for the period of five years. You bought a piece of land and leased out a certain part of the land. And yeah, yeah. that's how you were able to generate extra income for you. Wow. Because you cannot hold everything once off. On the other side, we are paying 
the yearly installment, labor, laborers, and it's just a lot. The intelligence that I've done, I've bought four milk kettles, dairy kettles. We were milking those kettles. I was selling the milk. I was a milkman. We called it David EBC. <laughs> With that money, I've managed to pay the workforce. With the money from the lease of the arable land, we were buying mechanization. And on the other side, we've got a loan that we have taken from MADC to buy the livestock together with my father. Gradually, after five years, we were able to have almost all the implements to start planting. During that period, the fortunate part, the CASP came in, assisted with few implements because the total capital was 316000 it was in March, but it was good support. Then we also planted the 36 hectares Eracrustos so that we can supplement the livestock because the livestock was also growing. Then in winter, you needed to subsidize your pasture through bales and some extra bales we used to sell it in public. Also to generate more income to buy fertilizer and 28 to post the grass in summer and also to make the grass more tasty for the animals. Moving forward, it was around 2009 when I applied for the extra land because cattles now were ranging in the 200. We were starting now to overgraze the area that we have. The farm couldn't handle the livestock. In 2012, fortunately, our lease agreement was approved. We managed to get the plus farm, 1,539 hectares. That was a big bonus. We didn't look back. We moved forward. I've invested my money, my father working, running the farming operation. Then my boys also were growing by then. Mm -hmm. The elderly boy was started to be fully involved with my grandfather during after school and holidays, from school to the farm. <laughs> after changing clothes, they are behind the animals. <laughs> during school holidays, they are behind. It was just amazing yeah. the way the support that we had. Today, the two boys, they are eating agriculture, sleeping agriculture, jiving agriculture wherever they are jiving. <laughs> because they know that their source of income True farming, moving slowly. 2014, I started to venture into white meat. That is chickens now. Looking around, applying, I have rejected our application. Struggling, it wasn't easy. But on the other side, I was pulling all the strings. 2015, I decided to pull from the private sector where I was working to focus fully in farming. Because after I've sit down to all the calculations, I've managed to see that through farming, I can sustain my life. Even in terms of salary, to keep my family up in terms of living standard, I foresee that agriculture can take me further. I left the private sector in 2015, focused full-time in farming. And also, the other strength was to belonging into organized agriculture. I was playing an important role 
from the municipality through NERPO and AFASA. We are the founders of those organizations because it's where you learn where and how and who's doing different things and what can you benefit from those different things. And benchmarking, who are the guys doing their best to visit them, see what they are doing, gain knowledge. And I didn't go to agricultural school, but you cannot challenge me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I can play my chess in agriculture. It's definitely inspiring in year where it all started and where the business currently is. Maybe just quickly give us a breakdown of you do run a mixed farming operation. Take us to the different crops and livestock that you operate with. And I'm also quite interested to know, you know, how did you decide on this particular combination of crops and livestock and what influenced those decisions, those choices? Number one, livestock, it's a quick cash to sustain your operation. But you have to do it wisely and take it as an investment. Don't just keep a cattle for the sake of you love it. You must keep the productive cattle. You must make sure your cattles are get tested for diseases. You must have programs, feeding programs, vaccination programs, attend the trainings to know and understand all the dynamics behind livestock. Livestock will change your life quick and easily. While you are doing livestock, you also need crops. And crops also supplement your livestock. To make money, crops is also an asset in agriculture, but also you have to do it correctly. Identify the land that you want to plant, number one. Number two, do the soil samples to know what type of soil you will be planting. What are the soil nutrients of that soil? What is the chemical composition of that soil? If it's not good, then you have to boost the soil. But you need to know what is your pH. What is your sulfur? What is your zinc? What is your nitrogen? And you will only understand and know that when you've got the soil samples. And then cap with study groups. I've got my own agronomist that I'm working with, Mr. Nick Basson. That is my advisor, is my mentor. Immediately, we've got the soil sample after planting. We come together and the guy who's supplying me with fertilizer and chemicals, we sit together, we analyze the soil properties, and then we know what do we want or what needs to be done in terms of the next planting season. And there is a biggest mistake that is done by mostly our brothers just to plant one crop seasonally. You are damaging your soil. You need to do crop rotation. Yes, you can plant soya once or twice, but in the third season, you need to put another crop in that land. Our main crops is soya and maize. And if the market is good for sorghum, we do also plant sorghum because our area is doing well in sorghum yield. So those are the two crops that you focus on, sorghum and maize. It's soya and maize. Crop sorghum, we see how it's going to perform in the market during the harvesting season. But the main focus is on soya and maize is doing well in our area. How do you manage the different aspects of your mixed farm operation? It's quite a big farming operation that you have there. Tell us how do you manage everything 
and maybe also touch on some of the key challenges you face in managing a mixed farming operation and how do you address them? The three commodities, which is chickens, red meat, crops. Let me start with the red meat. We are keeping mainly Bonsmara kettles. That's the dominant kettles. We've got if masters, but not so much. We are doing broiler chickens through the market is astral and on the other area in one farm, it's for export. And a crop is mainly going to Afri and other buyers. I've got three managers. I've got one manager that is doing livestock and is also doing crop, is running boat. The two farming for chickens. I've got two managers in Standard Hill. I've got one. And in event, I've got one for chicken operation. On top, I've got my son, my elder son, Tubelise, who's overseeing the three managers. And me, I oversee my son, and we also support the managers because I've got so much responsibility also in agricultural network and entities like AFTA and also AFASA and commodity chambers. I'm playing a big role there. I've got the very strong managers who are supporting my business. And I suppose when you have such a big operation and you're also involved in other aspects of agriculture like you are, it's important that the managers that you have, that you can actually trust them to take forward your business in Tati David. I trusted them as you were just talking. Let's now come into challenges. You know, challenges are always there. Number one, it's competency. Agriculture technology is invented day by day. There's a new technology. You come to the issue of diseases that are affecting the sector, like currently the diseases that are affecting the chicken industry. We have invested a lot in biosecurity to make sure that our side are not affected. Our managers don't sleep. It's also playing the role because safety don't come cheap. Good biosecurity don't come cheap. You have to invest money. But the fundamental thing as a business that you need to do and always keep on doing it, it's training. Training will be followed by development of your employees. And don't be scared to empower your employees. Empower your employees will make your things easier to run the business. That's such a good point that you highlighted in Tate, you know, the importance of investing in your workers because at the end of the day, they are helping you take your business forward and reaching those business goals that you want to reach in your business. So it's definitely important. You mentioned now biosecurity in Tate. And I'm just wondering, you know, you also farm with broilers. How are you currently managing the health of your poultry flock in light of the avian influenza outbreak? Number one, I've mentioned biosecurity as an umbrella. But when you are resting, when you take out the chickens, make sure that you clean your houses properly. After cleaning your houses properly, you need to disinfect your houses properly. There's a special medication that bans anything that might be inside to ensure that even if there is the disease that is hovering around your area, it won't easily get easily into your houses. There is a product, we call it lime, that we throw it around the farm. We also throw it inside that protects and prevents diseases, not just to contaminate your chickens. 
make sure that you inform your employees. When they come in, they need to bath. When they go out, they need to bath. And after bathing, when they get in, they must have proper clothing. And when they come out, then they wear their clothing. All that is part of safety. And also train them how to use and how to identify if chickens start to change their behavior so that you can get the veterinary service. And also for the astral, for the support that they give, they are giving it mostly weekly chickens are tested for any diseases that might be within their houses. And Dati, you mentioned early on, you know, the market that you supply in one of the markets being astral for your poultry, of course. How do you handle pricing for your products? Are there any factors that influence your pricing decisions? There are quite few factors that influence pricing. Number one, it's your input. Input, I'm talking about how do you manage your chickens? You with your people as an owner. How do you control feeding systems? The quality of coal, because we are using boilers for heating. Do you supply the quality of coals to your boiler? The burning, the combustion of that coal is enough to give the right heat. So that, because there are three or four things that will make your chickens, because you make money in weight. Once your weight are 1.9 and above, you are going to make money because you've got a good bonus from the chicken. And to get the right weight, you must have quality water. You need to have good feed. Your heating system must be in order. Fourthly, your veterinary must also be up to standard. If you can manage these four key factors, nothing will stop you to achieve the correct production equity factor that determines all these things. I've mentioned feeding, we call it FCR, feed convention ratio. Your water intake, once if your feeding convention is very low, there is no waste in feed, there is no spillages, you are going to make a huge bonus then that will make sure that you've got the right profit at the end of the cycle for that chickens. What about for your cattle and for your crops as well? What are some of the factors that influence your pricing strategy there? We've got enough land because currently after this calving season, we've got around about 800 animals that is running in three farms. You need to have a grazing program. Animals get tired to graze in one land, even if there can be enough grass. You need to rotate your animals so that they can adjust with new environment. You need to rotate your animals. Secondly, your vaccination program. Now we are going to summer. You need to prepare your cattle's internal stomach. They were eating dry grass. Now they are going for green grass. You need to flush their stomach. To flush their stomach, there are a few things that you need to do. Same when we are going to winter. You need to boost them, like medication, multivets, vitamins. All what is happening in human beings, it's happening in cattle. The females, when they have to calf from August, they need to be well fed so that they can't get miscarriages. When they are weak, definitely they're going to struggle when they calf. We've got 120 hectares where we are bailing the round bales. We are also using as a supplement for the animals that we see that they are not performing in order to get them into right standard. We are also backgrounding. When we are preparing to sell the winners, we take them to the grounding crash pen where we are backgrounding them for three months so that they can gain the right weight. 
when they go to the market to give us a right kilo, when you've got the right kilo, you're going to get the right price. The right price is the right profit. I like that. The right price is the right profit. <laughs> Take us quickly through your strategy for your crops in terms of pricing. Number one, we always nail down and pray for enough rain. One of the key things about agriculture, it's a sector that was blessed by God. We are not doing anything without a prayer. Our prayers are at a high level. We are praying for the rain. In the right soil, we already started to plant. But there are areas that the soil is not ready. We are waiting for the rain. Therefore, that's why if you can see our area, tractors are working day and night to make sure that the seed is underground. To have the right yield, you need to make sure that your seed preparation is good. You need, as I've mentioned the initial thing, that your soil testing will tell you what needs to be done with that soil. The pH, you need a correct pH to have the right yield. The cultivar, don't just buy. You must try and test what is good for your area and what is the performance in terms of yield. Buy that cultivar and plant that cultivar. Also, the weed control and pesticide control, it affects your crop. Your crop needs to be clean and needs to be managed for diseases. Don't be scared also to invest, to pay the agronomists just to visit your land and to check or either to observe because you cannot be a master of everything. Some people, they might see things differently. Don't have a problem. Get an agronomist just to go through with that agronomist in your land. Then they will tell you that, no, your crop is looking good. Or like in soya, they might say that put a leaf folio to boost your leaves. Once your leaves are good, and then also the yield will also look good. The last one, it's a risk management. There's things also that we can control. The natural events like hail, thunderstorm, that might cause erosion. All those things. Make sure that you've got an insurance for your crops. Should things go wrong, you know that you are covered. This will do the break-even for what you have invested into the ground. Right, and on to our farmer question. This week's question comes from Fatuani Mukwevo, and he has a question about early blight disease in tomatoes. His question is answered by Byron Boyson, a tomato expert and managing director of Boyson's Tunnel Farming. Hello, farmers in Sidetrack. My name is Fatuani Mukwevo. I am an organic tomato farmer based in Toyando, Limpopo. I have been having issues with early blight. I've tried crop rotation and mulching as preventive measures, but it is not effective. Is there anything else I can try to deal with early blight, please? Dear fellow tomato farmer, early blight is definitely a problem you want to deal with quickly. Once you visibly see it, you need to get rid of the affected areas by pruning, you can also use organic fungicidal products. There's many on the market and I think very much affordable as well. If not wanting to buy it, there's a lot of home remedies that you can use, such as baking soda, using sunlight or dishwashing soap. Mix those products and apply with the right amounts and without burning your plants. What's very important is when farming organically is to be physically involved with your farm, being able to see daily what affects it, then to apply the right measures to correct it. Um, we're also very important 
and sometimes something that you can do slight oversight in is to make sure that your pruning scissors or whatever knife or pruning device that you use to cut and prune your leaves is to make sure that it's clean and then it's very much possible to win your battle against early blight especially in tomatoes while following a few of those measurements join us again next time when we meet another seasoned steward of the earth ready to guide the next generation of farmers don't miss out on the exclusive article covering this episode visit www.foodformsanzi.co.za to be the first to read it to our amazing audience of farmers and agriculture enthusiasts Thank you for joining us and remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening. <laughs>